Welcome to the Team Building Podcast, where you'll learn how to build a dominant real estate team in your market. Featuring masterminds with team leaders and mega agents, plus in-depth interviews with operations managers and marketing directors of some of the top teams in the country. You'll learn the latest methods to generate and convert leads, streamline your operations, recruit and train better agents, and raise your profit. And now, here's the latest Team Building Podcast. Hey, what's up, you guys? Jeff Cohn here, host of the Team Building Podcast, where we interview top team leaders, broker owners, and thought leaders from across the country. I have a very good friend of mine. Uh, We've known each other for almost five years, Mr. David Green. David is the host of Bigger Pockets, and he is an author, team leader, uh, agent at KW Elite, investor, and so much more. Um, I should introduce you as the man, the myth, and the legend. David Green, welcome to our podcast today. But thank you, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. And might I say that your hair is looking extra good today. I can see that you put in some effort (laughs) seeing that I was going to be coming on. I appreciate that. You know, we're rocking these black magic cameras in our uh, digital marketing studio, our Verly studio today. And I thought you'd like that. And yours is equally as beautiful. And uh, for those that are just listening and not watching, the inside joke is the fact that neither of us have hair and I think we're both freshly shaved. So maybe TM. That's exactly right. If you can't handle it, go to a different podcast. (laughs) So it's funny, we kicked this off today and I was actually teasing David because I know his past and for a while he was a police officer. And David, if you don't mind me sharing, is a DC which will come across this interview for probably a little bit, whereas I'm a DI. And so sometimes he has what they call resting biatch face. That was me not saying the word. And um, I gave him a hard time right when we got on because he just had that face. Like he looked like a cop. And he said, you know, Jeff, typically cops don't have high eye. They're mostly DCs. What's interesting as I've watched successful individuals, there's a lot of DCs that run very successful businesses. I think that that's a attribute of highly successful people. But of course you have high everythings. Um, but DC is typically going to be a dominant trait that I see across a lot of successful business owners. And today we are going to dive deep for 25 minutes into David's businesses and all the fun stuff you're doing. Um, this is also coming on the heels of David actually flying out to Omaha, uh, spending a couple of days with us at our team building and investing workshop. And the feedback we've gotten, David, by the way, is phenomenal. Um, our local RIA chapter in Omaha couldn't be more gracious for your time and energy. And he was there, you know, not only at the event, but also after our events and you did an amazing job. So thank you again for participating in that. Thanks, Jeff. You, uh, you put a very fun event together. I would encourage anybody who's listening to go check out one of Jeff's events. It wasn't just educational, but it was fun and that's really hard to do, but it's important because People won't take the information they've been giving and go do something with it unless there's some incentive to do it. And when you're in an environment where it's fun and challenging at the same time, you're way more likely to be motivated to go do something than when you just have someone beating you on the head with, you need to go do this, but it doesn't seem enticing to go do it. Well, it's funny you bring it up um, back to my high eye attribute. The thing I've always gotten from events and the very first event I ever met David at was a mastermind event put on by GoBundance. And what I have found with all masterminds and high level thinkers is the bonds aren't built sitting in a class or listening to content or listening to a podcast. The bonds are built in the after hour events. And so one of my first experiences with David that I remember was us snowmobiling and we were in Tahoe. Uh, we are in like super thick powder and we stopped at a little spot and, um, it sounds really silly, but had a, a snowball fight. So all of us adult men went into 
seven year, you know, seven to eight years old snowball fight and just had a really great time. And it's funny that that was the bond, you know, essentially that was one of the first experiences I remember David uh, being in. And for the people that come to the workshop, I always say, don't get caught up on the content of the workshop, get caught up in getting to really know people after hours because the relationships that you build will last forever instead of just downloading content that you get in a one hour period or a 25 minute podcast. Exactly right. That's very good advice. All right. So, um, we had a really fun Q and a session while you were here. If you remember our last day sitting up in front of everyone, they just kind of peppered us with questions. That's really how I wanted this podcast to go. Um, I actually wish we had recorded that Q and a session because tons of amazing content came out of it. So first I want to talk about your team and some of the things you're doing that are very unique right now uh, with your team. I know with just like three people, you guys did almost a hundred million dollars in sales volume, which is very impressive. Um, and then I also want to talk about investing, of course, as the host of the largest real estate podcast that's on iTunes today, bigger pockets. Um, you've also co-authored several books. I'd love you to talk about that as well, but I wanted the first half to be about your team and some of the unique strategies you guys are implementing. And then the second half to be on investing and give us a couple ideas of some things that we can take away from all of the amazing people that you guys have interviewed. I think that's a great idea. I'll say that I, I've kind of set up my business because one of the cool things with real estate in general is there is not one way to do it. In fact, if you try to build your business to look exactly like Jeff's business, you probably will fail because Jeff's a DI. So his lead generation efforts, his value structure, how he runs everything is built around his strengths, much like Tony Stark's suit of armor is built around Tony Stark, right? It wouldn't work the same if Captain America tried to do things like Tony Stark does. And so because of that, you have to kind of own who you are. Uh, like Jeff, you said, I'm a DC and we tend to end up in like CEO roles or leadership roles, but that's because of like the brutal nature of living in your own head. When you're a DC, your D side is screaming, hurry up, do it, do it faster, get it done, move forward, move the needle. And your C side is screaming, don't make a mistake, be perfect, make everything go well. And so you're in this constant like red light, green light in your own head. And so when I actually embraced, dude, this is just how I am. I'm going to be this way, right? I noticed that I always want to be communicated in bullet points. Tell me what I need to know, summed up as much as the information as I need, but I don't want all the fluff. Um, when I embraced that, I started making a lot of progress. Things I, I just recognize I need a world that looks like bullet points when I have to make a decision. Whereas maybe someone who's an SC, that'd be terrible for them. They would never get anywhere because they need to know different details. So my team is set up around me. I know your team is set up around you. And I want to encourage everyone who's listening as they're building a team, you want to follow a model hundred percent, but how you implement the model depends on you. Okay. Like the golden state warriors are my favorite basketball team. You've got clay Thompson, Draymond green and Stephen Curry. They're all learning the same fundamentals when it comes to basketball. They all have to do the same things and be in the same places on defense, but how they do it is very different. Stephen Curry is not going to do the same thing. Clay Thompson does. Clay Thompson can just stop a guy right in front of him. Don't let it get past him. Lock him up. Stephen Curry can't do that, but he can get a lot of steals. So the model is sort of the fundamentals of the business, but how you apply it is your own specific skill. And I know I spent a lot of time the first three years of my career banging my head into a brick wall, trying to build my business, like all the high eyes and I'm not a high eye and it, it didn't work for me. It'd be like Stephen Curry trying to score in the post all the time where he's a smaller player. So <clears throat> my overall wealth building strategy is very, very, very boring and simple. It's a three-part series where I want to earn money, amplify money, invest the money. So you earn it, 
any way you want. Some of the main ways that I earn money are doing loans and doing real estate sales with the team that you talked about under Keller Williams. I also earn a little bit of money through things like book sales or a private mastermind that I run, stuff like that. Then I amplify money by either flipping houses, making loans, or doing like a Burr property where I may spend a total of $90,000 to end up with a property that's worth $120,000. I've amplified my, my capital there by 30,000 bucks. That's like a 30% return. And then I actually get that money back out of the deal when it's done. And then I invest that money ultimately in bigger projects, in syndications and apartment complexes and 1031 exchanges from the stuff that I bought where I was amplifying it into the investing. Not everyone does it the same way. You can earn money, then directly invest it. You can earn money, then amplify it and just keep amplifying it. You can borrow money from other people and invest it and skip earning and amplifying. But I like to just basically say, I've got, this is how I earn it. This is how I amplify it. This is how I invest it. And then bring people around me to build my teams in each of those three areas to make me more successful. All right. Well, let's start with earning it. So I know you've got your team uh, in California. What city are you guys selling out of David? We're in the San Francisco Bay area and Sacramento market. So everything all around San Francisco and San Jose and East, and then a little bit North of that would be Sacramento. We're also there too. Okay. Let's just spend a couple minutes on that and then we'll get into the amplifying a little bit. And I like the way that you kind of partition that. Um, I've always said all of the businesses I own generate income and then the money that I'm able to generate that's disposable, which my goal is for that to be 99% of it, I'm going to use to invest and 90% of mm-hmm. my investments are going to be in single family and multifamily. So for pretty similar strategy um, on the real estate side, running this successful team, obviously your sales price in San Francisco is probably a little higher than my sales price in Omaha. We're sitting at like 225 right now. Where are you guys at? I would say my average sales price in the Sacramento market is probably around 400, 450, but in the Bay area, it's probably closer to 800, 850. Okay. So you built a very small team. I like to call this the Navy SEAL team strategy. Yeah. Um, we got into this with the Q&A. Why don't you just download it really quick for the listeners, how you're running things. Um, I love the leveraged roles and the focus on net income rather than commission splits, which is what agents are always talking about. Yeah. So there's different ways to do it. Obviously there's the go, the horizontal method, which is like you go a mile wide and an inch deep. You have a lot of agents and you, you coach all of them. It's easier for the person building the team to do it that way because you give the same training to everyone, the same opportunity. You create a system, you create a support uh, network and you give it to everybody at the same time. And then it's a meritocracy. You see which agents do the best with it. And you tend to give more of your time towards agents that do. There's nothing wrong with that model at all. The downside would be the more people you have, the more problems you tend to have. That's the song notorious BIG never got to make. If he was still around, that's what he'd be saying. More people, more problems. I think a lot of us can recognize when you're a broker, you have a ton of problems. You're dealing with stuff that goes wrong all the time. You have a big team. There's a lot of stuff that comes your way. Because our prices are so high and our commissions are so big, I chose to go an inch wide and a mile deep. I'd rather have a handful of really good agents that can do very high volume at a high level and avoid the drama that comes from having to manage a ton of different people. And then the quality control. Another thing to mention is it's, there's no problem with having a hundred agents when they're generating their own leads or they're working that lead from beginning to end. When I'm handing you someone that came right out of my sphere, I also have to have a certain degree of trust and, 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 well-being that you're going to do a really good job. Like that was your mom. Cause that might be my mom or it might be my mom's friend. So I, I, we tend to give those leads to our best people. 
So if you think about all of those leads that my team does mostly come from me, they're only going to be my best people that I have. So there's about three of us in general that work 90, 95% of the business that the team does. And what we've done is we've taken each of those rock stars and we put support systems around them. So I'm pretty heavy on the admin side. So every, every person on my team, who's a agent, like the, the three of us that are doing the majority of the sales. Now there's a fourth. I took my first agent and she's getting into selling as well to my, to my sphere. So I guess there's four of us now. They each have their own admin. That's the person whose primary job is to keep them organized. Make sure what's on their, what they need to do that day ends up on their schedule. Make sure nothing slips through the cracks. When a lead comes in, you grab it, you get the information, you put it on that agent's schedule, you make sure the agent calls the lead so that we don't forget to, to get a hold of them. Then the agent would have the call. They would go back to their admin and say, hey, here's what the next step is. The admin would go put something in our CRM to remind them. It's just, you're avoiding lead bleed and you're making sure that they do the most important things. Now, once you've got a lead signed up, they're a client, they're ready to work with you. We have showing assistants that do the majority of the heavy lifting for our buyers. Those are people. And, and typically each agent has two or three of them that are driving around, showing houses to the buyers, looking houses up on the internet, on the MLS, calling the listing agents to find out, does the house already have 12 offers? Do you have inspections? That stuff is time consuming. And we don't realize how time consuming it is until you have eight buyers you're doing at a time. And all day long, all you're doing is talking on the phone to agents and then you're not lead generating or you're not putting the people in contracts. So the showing assistance exists to do the heavy lifting for the rock stars uh, so that they can keep focusing on putting people in contract and getting new clients lined up. That's what I want them to be doing. Like the Navy SEAL, like you're a sniper. I want you getting rounds down range so that our guys aren't getting killed, but someone needs to bring you bullets. Somebody needs to bring you some water. Somebody needs to, Hey, this is where the wind is. They're supporting the person who's in that role of the, the rock star, the Navy SEAL. And then the, those showing assistants as they grow in experience, which they get very quickly from all the at-bats they're getting. They're learning a ton watching what the rock stars do and putting people in contract, recognizing this buyer's not serious. Okay, for this type of buyer, this is the way we have to play it. They're always gonna think this way. The only way you get them to move forward is, is this or that. So after six to, to 12 to maybe 18 months of doing that, they're getting pretty close to being really, really good. And then they have the opportunity to show less homes and work with more of their own clients until eventually they're showing no homes and they're working with only their own clients. And then the natural progression would be now they need a showing assistant to come in to help them. And now they get to do what they did for the person above them. They are now ready to train the person who's underneath them and the whole system keeps working. Mm -hmm. Love it. What are the roles that oversee the Navy SEAL and then all of the support to that Navy SEAL? Um, is the agent that's in that high income producing role of going on the appointment, like the sniper, mm -hmm. are they responsible for overseeing and managing their admin support, the showing assistance, the marketing, et cetera, or is all of it kind of served to them and you have a third party operating man manager that's overseeing it all, or are you I overseeing? I'm overseeing it right now. So I'm playing that manager role. And when I get someone in there to replace me, I'll step out and, and they will do that. For now, we have um, a transaction coordinator and we'll probably be hiring a second one and a team of VAs that support them that does not just transaction coordination, pretty much from the time it goes into contract, they're not just telling you, Hey, you have a thing that needs to be filled out. They are scheduling your inspection. They're, they're making sure the appraiser gets in the house. They're getting the inspection reports, looking it over and giving you the things that you should go over with the client from the point it's in contract. I really don't want the agents dealing with much unless something horrible goes wrong. The, the TC should be doing the majority of that work. So I pay them better than a TC does, but I expect more out of them. 
And that was where I just told you, Krista, my first assistant, she's now going to be an agent. She's done in her four years with me over 200 deals. So she's coming into this thing like a Navy SEAL herself from everything she's seen. She's going to be my top producer, one of my top producers right off the bat. That's another way that by having strong support people with big ambition, you get them the experience. Cause Jeff, you'd probably agree. That's what's hardest when you're new. You don't know what you're doing. You don't have the confidence to go talk about real estate because you don't know what you're doing. If you have a high enough D score, you just force your way through that mess. But if you don't, you just stay paralyzed trying to figure out like, what do I do in your growth? is very, very slow. So yeah, the next position I need to hire for is an experienced agent to be someone like an office manager. Mm-hmm. They support the rock stars. They help with the hiring and the training and the onboarding um, and maybe a little bit of the recruiting. Like I'll get your, I'll get your foot in the door and then they'll jump in and take it over. Um, and that was a great question because that is something that as we're growing really quickly, I'm starting to recognize, man, I can't keep doing that myself. I'm getting stretched too thin. No, because you're a see, you want to control that and you're the best suited for it. But of course, everyone's always looking for ways to step away. Um, people listening, some are individual agents and everyone always asks themselves, do I want to take on a team? And I think when they think of a team, they think of huge teams and it doesn't have to be that yeah. way. There's a lot of different ways to do it. This is the Navy SEAL strategy. What I would say though, if you're a broker owner or you already have established a really large team, nothing is keeping you from doing exactly what David's doing for your own personal sphere. And it's exactly what I've done. I didn't tell David this, but when we were doing Q and A and he was talking about his strategy in my mind, I was thinking, I've been doing this for five years unintentionally. I had built up my Navy SEAL team amongst another 30 agents. I always had my key four or five that I would hand off deals to that had more support that already knew how to do it. And I think the biggest thing to mention, even though I'm a DI, you're a DC, the people around you who you've been working with, who were an admin role in the beginning, know you. They know the way you, they know your style as a DC. If you hired someone from off the street to come in and try to fill the, the shoes of the person that's been with you for several years, they probably would quit. You're too fast paced. You're too meticulous. You're too controlling. They'd have a lot of issues with you, but the people that are in your world who have already supported you and have made it, those are the people you can elevate. And mm-hmm. it was interesting at our brokerage meeting Tuesday this week. Um, I'm no longer actually, nothing's coming, going around me. I actually hired a full-time CEO who runs KW elite so that I can move on to all of our national expansion efforts. But the thing that I took note on was out of our entire leadership group, over 80% were at one point an agent on our team. So we have built a lot of our leadership positions from talent within rather than having to go out and find talent. They all started incubated, if you will, as agents before they went into leadership roles. So I'm totally aligned with everything you're talking about. Let's end with that topic on the question of how you compensate. There's a lot of different ways to compensate. You got the red fin strategy where you pay a salary, you've got salary plus bonus, you've got hundred percent commission, which is what most people do. And then we'll get into the second tier of the conversation, which is amplifying our income. Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing I'll say about you, what you just mentioned, being a broker owner and building a team for your sphere is really, I'm doing that just, I did it backwards. I started with the seals and now I'm looking to expand when I buy a brokerage, but it's just having a Navy and picking your best people to be your seals. That's really the best way to do this. You've already got the Navy. You've got a team of 60 agents pick the five or the six that you think are the best and say, Hey, the expectations are higher for you, but so are the perks. You're going to make a lot more money. You're going to get a lot more support. So the way that we're, we're compensated now is everybody's on a 50, 50 split on, on all the deals that they're bringing in and the ones I give them when they hit that top level. 
And so once you've hit like, Hey, I'm a rock star, I'm closing deals and I'm bringing deals in rather than adjusting the split, I adjust the support. So I start paying for your admin for you. And that admin is trained by the admin I already have. You don't have to figure out how to do that yourself. Uh, I start hiring showing assistants and, and sticking them underneath you and giving them the systems that they're using and, and training from other people to get them rocking for you. So you get your time back. You use that time to lead generate your income increases. I start basically taking away the lower income producing things. So that's one form of compensation for the top people. For the new people, I tell them you can either be compensated by money or you can be compensated by training. Which one do you want? Too many people make the mistake getting into this industry that they know nothing. They bring zero value and they deserve to make a certain amount of money because that's what they need to live. And they want you to train them how to do the job. This is why most agents that join a brokerage just never get off the ground. I think there's like an 87% failure rate or whatever. They don't understand it's their job to get themselves trained before they can expect the compensation that comes from that. So the showing assistant role, I, they get 10% of the commission. And that's not really peanuts when you're considering our average commissions are somewhere between 15 and 25,000. So they close two to three deals for the agent that they're working underneath. And that's still like six grand a month before they've even done any of their own. It's not nothing at all, but yeah, it's not, go ahead. That they did. Say that again. Let's address the work that they did. They went on a listing presentation or they wrote a contract, negotiated a contract. Like you're not having them in a bunch of mundane roles. They're, they're not doing that hard of work. Where are we talking about the showing assistants or the, the buyer's agents? Uh, the buyer's agents where you had, I thought that's what you had said. Sorry, no. The showing assistants that are brand new, they're getting 10% to oh, come in you drive. 10%? I didn't yes. know that. Yeah. So they get 10% just so that they can keep their bills being paid, but they, their primary compensation is what they are learning from the senior agent that they're working underneath that they're teaching them. Here's how you find a house that we need in the MLS. Here's how you schedule a showing. Here's how you set up your showings. When you're showing houses, this is what the buyers will say. Here's your counter. This is how you change the way that they're thinking so that they get in the right mindset where they're ready to move forward. All those things that we figure out five, six years in the business, and then we take off. They're learning that in their first four to six months. Right. So that's the real value they're getting. And if they can just get a, a handful from their own sphere in my market, they're all going to make over a hundred grand before they're even really that good. So that's kind of why we're set up. Um, so that's their compensation. And then my transaction coordinators and my admin that support the agents, they're getting a salary. Okay. Um, in your market, is there a specific salary you could share with the listeners for anyone wondering, you know, for the whole contract to close? Yeah or what kind of an agent should expect if they were to go out and try to hire a leverage role, which I know in a higher um, price point, like in California, a lot of agents never build teams and are making net million dollars a year. And they just put two or three admin around them. And then mm -hmm. they become the main person, right? I don't see teams really blowing up because of the margins that, that there are. And it's hard for agents, I think, to walk away from the margin. So what does a good admin cost in California? You can get somebody to do that job between 18 and $30 an hour. And if you get one that you really, really like, you can pay them more. Here's what I've learned. Paying them more usually has a, a negative impact on the work that I get out of them. You would think that if I pay them more, they'll work harder. It typically doesn't happen. When you earn a salary, it's, there's security associated with that that is completely unattached to you stepping out of your comfort zone, you putting the company first. I want people to make enough money on their salary to get by so that their needs are met, but not enough money that their wants are met. If you want nicer things, you want to get into that 200, $400,000 a year. I want you to let that hunger push you out of your comfort zone, which usually involves some form of lead generation. 
I want them to make a lot of money. I work with them so they make more money, but it doesn't become money I give them. Don't come to me and say, David, give me more of your money out of the transaction. Say, David, give me your training so that I can talk to my sphere. I can know how to talk to this home inspector to get him to bring us leads and I can get a cut of what comes in there. I feel that's better for everyone. It's better for the company. I can pay you more without losing more money. It's better for you because you gained a new skill as well as new money. And eventually every admin doesn't want to be stuck working 40 hours a week in the office. There's uh, some people may, but the majority of them start seeing what everyone else is making. And then they say, Hey, give me more. I know that's coming. So I want to prepare ahead of time to say your path to more is what they did. You're going to learn how to lead generate. You're going to learn to ask for business. You can still keep your supplemental or your, your bread and butter salary. I will keep paying you. The supplemental income is going to come from you doing something to help the company. Mm -hmm. I love the transparency and I have always stood behind the adage that true leaders serve their followers by giving them the ability to be just like them. And that's exactly what you've done. So mm -hmm. that's off to you. Nice job. Uh, let's move into amplifying and we'll end with amplifying and investing because they go together. That's the whole purpose of amplifying is to have more to invest. Um, you have a lot to say on the investment side, which we won't get to say at all today. We'll have you back on to talk more and dig deeper into investing. I'm going to try to convince you to come back to Omaha in the summer um, for our team building summit. I think you'd be an amazing speaker to have you out there. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more off top or offline. Uh, but when it comes to amplifying, you have some really unique strategies. Let's get into those a little bit. First way that you amplify money as an agent is you flip houses. And as agents that are not investing in real estate, it's just a tragedy because we know more about it. The people are coming to us who are doing this and saying, please help me because they know we have knowledge that they don't have. So when somebody first brings you a deal, if it's obviously something like I can list at top dollar, I'm going to just list it. I'm not going to try to buy it from the, the seller. In this market, people know what their house is worth. So you don't want to be scummy and try to like get them to trust you and then go lowball them on their house. But many times you get a listing that you know in your heart is going to be a very tough sell. It's got a screwed up floor plan and you're going to need to move some walls around and they don't have money to do it. It's just in terrible shape. There's some problem with that house that's going to keep it from selling. And your first thought every time you see that property, whether it's your own or some agent in your office complaining about it is, can I buy it? If you buy that house, you use your capital or someone else's capital to fix it up and resell it. You'll make much more than you would have uh, on the listing side. Okay. So just get it in your head. That's something that you can do. Now there's a lot of strategies if you don't have a lot of cash, because that's typically the first objection that everyone gives is, well, I don't have any money. There's many scenarios where you can work something out with a seller where you say, look, if your house was fixed up, it would sell for 400,000 in its current condition you're going to be lucky to get 300, right? We're probably at 280. So I'm going to buy it from you for no commission for $260,000. And I'll give you $10,000 right now as a sign of good faith. Six months later, after I have fixed it up and sold it, I will give you a, a bigger amount than what they would have got. I'll, I'll give you 320,000 or 330,000, something like that. So it works for them because they get more money than they would have got. It works for you because you don't have to pay a hard money lender to borrow money from them to fix up the house and you're under less pressure. And it obviously works for the end consumer because they get a nice house that they got to borrow money from the bank at very low interest rates and they didn't have to go fix it up themselves. So that's just an easy strategy. If you get the seller to transfer title to you, but give you a personal note secured by that property that you're going to pay them back after six months or 12 months, whatever you arrange, they'll get more money than if they just sold it to you in its current condition. I don't know why more people don't do that. 
if you can, if you can articulate to the seller why it's in their best interest, which we all should do because we're agents, this is what we do is we freaking sell stuff. That's an easy strategy where you can start flipping houses. Um, another one would be what I, what I refer to as the burr strategy. So that's just buying that same trashed house, fixing it up and then refinancing it once it's fixed up and it's worth more. And all, and, and you add value to the house, but instead of leaving the value in the house's equity, when you refinance, you get your capital back out. You can go buy the next round of houses. You start doing this over and over and over, and you're adding somewhere between 20 and $50,000 of equity every time. If you do it twice a month, that becomes, you know, 40 to a hundred grand a month that you're adding to your net worth, which is probably the same or more than you were making selling 10 houses. Yep. So I think you made some great points, um, changing your mindset when you approach the house and then how you want to structure the deal. A lot of agents are lazy thinkers. Uh, they go on an appointment and all they're thinking is list the property. They're not thinking of all the other ways where they could create more value for both the seller and themselves. And I think you've already shared several really great strategies. Burr, by the way, um, for anyone that doesn't know and correct me if I'm wrong, cause you are, you did author the book. It's buy, purchase the property, put it under contract, um, renovate the property refine or rent, uh, rent out the property, refinance the property and repeat the process. Very good, Jeff. I see that you studied before you had me on. I'm going to write Burr two. We're going to do a whole nother one. So Clint and I, uh, my business partner, we've started that strategy probably four years ago. Um, Clint has read the book and it works. And the thing that we have found so fascinating is we've partnered with local banks who actually let us go refi first. That's why I changed mm -hmm. the order. So once we put a house under contract, we actually close and they write us a check as long as we find a house that's more than 15% below market based on their final appraisal. So you don't have to wait two years. A lot of people will say you got to wait two years to pull the money out. If you can find a local bank, so, sometimes you can find banks that literally will pay you the difference based on the, the after repair appraisal that comes out. And we've had houses where we've closed and they've, the bank has given us a check for $80,000 or $100,000 in some cases. So you just got to make sure if you're holding that, that you can cover your, your debt obligation every month that you're cash flowing essentially. So mm -hmm. uh, any other strategies around amplifying? You talked to us a little bit about a way to acquire with the seller essentially giving you the note, mm -hmm. talked about the Burr strategy. I mean, where else do you go from? The other big one would be um, giving out hard money loans yourself. So once you've got a little bit of a nest egg built up, you can give loans to other flippers. So let's say that somebody, you know, there's an investor that's experienced, like it's, it's Jeff and Clint. Okay. And they come to you and say, Hey, we're looking for deals. Can you send me a deal? Well, if you find them the deal, you're going to get the commission on that. And then you can also give them the loan that they may need for the hard money or the construction. And you're going to make some money off that both on points and on the interest rate. And then when they sell the house, you can work it out to where you're going to list it. So now it is making you money in three different ways to make Jeff money doing what you already do all day. Your funding. The thing I found beautiful about the hard money, David, is money's easy to come by right now. If somebody hasn't tapped in hundred percent of their home equity line of credit, that's like free money. They charge mm -hmm. what is three and a half percent or something's crazy low right now. Hard money, and you can define it. I don't know the definition, you know, net dictionary definition, but it's essentially loaning money at a much higher rate than what the bank's going to loan money at. So you could literally borrow money against your home equity line, loan that to your client who's buying a property, loan them a hundred grand and charge 12%. And like you said, with points, you could charge them two points up front. So mm -hmm. on a hundred thousand dollar loan, that's two thousand dollars up front. And then they're, you're getting another 12% return on the money. You can do them however you want. Obviously. Exactly right. You could loan the commission you made on the deal, assuming that that's legal. I've never heard anyone say it wasn't. So check with a lawyer. We always say that, but I would don't think there's any reason you wouldn't be able to lend the money that you made on the commission to them to go 
do the rehab. And then the hard money question, hard money is just any loan that's made that's secured by a hard asset. So in these cases, it's typically secured by the house itself, but it could be secured by a car, by an expensive painting, by a baseball card, anything that's an actual physical hard asset. Yep. And typically you're going to be second position. Right? Or yes, usually so. Under the deal. When you're, when you're doing your hard money loans, is it typically to help someone with their down payment or to buy the entire project? No, it, if I do it, it's usually more for the rehab portion. So they had enough to, to buy the house. So I'm going to be in second position because they had a loan to buy the asset, but they know that they need to fix it up. And because I know the numbers involved in this deal, I know what the house is going to be worth. And I know like, I probably wouldn't do it if they were putting three and a half percent down. Right. But if you're putting a really big chunky down payment and there's going to be a lot of equity created, then I'll just yep. let you have a loan. Put, I'm in second position on that. There's a lien on the property and then they pay me back. And that's another way I amplified money without having to do additional work. It was all from the same thing I was already doing. Yep. And the beauty is for those listening is you're already an expert. So you go out and buy Bitcoin. Is it going to go up or is it going to go down? None of us know. We don't control that. What's the market going to do in the next six months? You probably have a pretty good idea. Interest rates are supposed to stay low. You know the market better than anyone, probably better than the investor coming to you to ask money. And if you're the one listing it, you help them on the acquisition side and you go to help on the disposition, which is the listing side, you're essentially controlling both, you know, the bookends of the deal. It's a pretty good bet. And you're taking yep. second position. I loved your point of know the people you're investing with. If you're going to go hard money to amplify um, number two, make sure they have skin in the game. So either you pay for the renovation, they take it out the loan or the other way around. They always need to have skin in the game so that if they lose, you know, you're going to obviously lose. If you lose, they lose. There you go. All right. So the third thing on the investing side, I mean, you're the guru. You, you interview tons of people. Um, our listeners are just trying to get started. You know, we have a handful mm -hmm. of people I'm sure that have owned some doors, but for somebody out there that just is ready for their first couple do you have any easy hacks on how they should be doing that? So your biggest enemy when you're brand new is your own fear. It's your own mind who says, I've never done this in the what if that you play. We all know what that feeling's like when we first got our license and it was in our head all the time. And then when we cross that threshold to where we know what to do and now we're cocky SOBs running around like, you know, how realtors you are. As soon as, so yes, we know everything. As soon as we do a couple of deals, we get confident. The next thing you know, we're driving a, a BMW and we're pretentious. It's like, yeah, realtors are the worst. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> listening knows it too. Um, but you, I want you to remember what it was like before we had all this confidence and uh, you, we were scared all the time. That's what it feels like when you get into investing, but it's not as scary as what you're thinking. Your mind is saying, what if, what if, what if to everything that could go wrong? Just like when you first started lead generating, what if they don't like me? What if they hang up on me? What if they get me in trouble? What if they say that my mom's fat? There's a million things that we are, your brain's always telling you. So the easiest way to get over that is to start by house hacking. And house hacking is just a phrase we use to describe buy a house that you're going to live in yourself and you rent out a part of it. You could rent out the bedrooms. You could rent out the basement. You could rent out, uh, you could buy a duplex and live in one half and rent out the other. There's lots of ways of doing it. But what happens is you trick yourself into recognizing I am a real estate investor and identifying as a real estate investor with very low risk. It's a primary residence. So you put a very low down payment on, you were already making a payment to live somewhere. So it's not like you're taking on an additional expense. The only area where you're sacrificing is in comfort. 
it's nice to have a nice big house. It's not as nice to have to live in something smaller, which is where you should be sacrificing when you're new and you're trying to learn and you're afraid. So if you just house hacked every once a year for 10 years and just move for another property, you'd end up with 10 rental properties that were all cash flowing at the end of 10 years for very low money down. It's that's a great way to get started. And once you've done that a couple times or once, and you're like, Oh, there's really not much to this. It's pretty much, it's pretty simple. Then you can start looking for the deals. Like what Jeff you're looking for the beat up houses, the fixer uppers and, and going to get bigger chunks on every deal. Yeah. Someone once said, make sure every house you buy, you'd be willing to live in because you might have to. Um, I'm definitely buying houses I will never choose to live in. <laughs> but um, one of the things I was thinking of on that hack idea, and I'd never heard that before. I've seen it a lot um, with people's first investment property. It's usually their first house. So it's their starter house, yeah. right? Those that are selling it, they decide to rent it. Um, but I also see in the new construction game, when it wasn't a crazy seller's market, like it is in most places across the country right now, you would see builders do the exact strategy with their models. Because typically the funding on new construction models is 18 months to two years. If they wouldn't sell the model in a buyer's market, they'd move into the model. Mm-hmm. And so you'd see builders that would be like, are you moving again? And they're constantly moving because they keep filling up the models that are right. you know, coming, that you know it's coming due. And that's kind of hacking as well. And that's just, yep. it's just, just calculated risk. It's risk reduction. That's exactly right. Worst case scenario, if this happens, I'll move into it. Now, the worst case scenario very rarely happens, but if you know you have a plan for worst case scenario, your mind will typically let go of just constantly pounding you in the forehead with fear over and over and over. I would say my number one recommendation would be don't listen to all the people that have never done it. I cannot believe how many times people will give me advice and I'll say, wow, that's interesting. Why are you giving me that advice? How many houses have you bought? Oh, I've never bought a house. (laughs) No, thank you. I don't need your advice. Like listen to the people that have actually done it. There's enough people out there. Where would you point someone right now, David, to get more advice on investing in single family or multifamily storage units, commercial space, where are two or three of the best places? Obviously you got to plug bigger pockets in the books you've written. Why don't you talk about that? And then maybe two or three other recommendations. Yeah. Bigger pockets is, is just the juggernaut right now. When it comes to, I want to learn how to be a real estate investor. It's definitely not the place. If you want to be a better agent, like there's some resources there, but nothing like other places. But when it comes to, I want to learn how to invest it's top notch, hands down the best place to go. So we have a podcast really good. We interview a different investor every week and say, Hey, how did you build your business? Where did you find your deals? How'd you finance them? What do you look for? Um, they also have an amazing forum where you can go and ask just about any question you could think of and people will jump in there and answer it. Many of them experience people that you can vet. You can see other answers that they've given to other people's questions. They've got a ton of different books you could buy. If you go to biggerpockets.com slash store, there's a lot of books written on everything from getting started, finding your first deal to syndicating and getting into investments with other people. I've written a couple for them. Uh, My first was long distance real estate investing, which is just about the systems that I use to buy houses in different markets. I don't have to live in the market where I'm investing. If I have people that are there that will do all the work I need. It's really a book on leverage and systems. Um, I wrote a book called buy rehab, rent, refinance, repeat, like you mentioned, which is just describes the burst strategy that I used to go from buying what I two houses a year to two a month for a long period of time. And then, um, I run a private mastermind, which you can get information at, at davidgreenmastermind.com, where I teach the members just different success principles, building a business, earning money, amplifying it, investing in real estate, building a team, building a team for something other than real estate too. Like these principles that we're talking about on this podcast, they're just business principles that you could do this in a lot of different ways. Um, So those would probably be the top places that I would go to. 
it's almost always fear, Jeff. That's why people don't do it. It's they, they're seeing what could go wrong. But like I said, at, at your meeting, I've never met a person yet that 30 years ago bought a house and they said, I wish I wouldn't have done that. What was I thinking? You know how many times the toilet backed up and I had to deal with it? It, it just doesn't exist. So do what you have to do to get over that fear. For me, that, that, that was listening to a lot of podcasts. When I became an agent, I knew I was not a high eye. I was very insecure about my ability to make it in this industry because I don't, I, I'm, I'm introverted. I don't like talking to strangers. I, I pull back. So I just started listening to every podcast I could get my hands on. That's I listened to all of your, all of your shows um, when your podcast first came out because I needed to hear how other people do it. Okay. I, that guy does it or that girl, I could do what she does. Yeah. That, that could work. And that's just like, that's probably 80% of the struggle is getting comfortable with the fact that you've got to figure out a method that's going to work for your personality and then just going gangbusters once you find it. Nope. 100%. Well, this has been an awesome podcast. We definitely want to bring you back on. Um, we are going to have a conversation about seeing if we can get you to keynote our team building summit in May of 2021 for anyone that hasn't heard about the team building summit or would be interested in learning more about our upcoming virtual workshop in January, 2021, our physical team building workshop that David actually just came and participated in. We have another one coming up in March of 2021. And then the summit is in um, May of 2021. Go out to grow with ERS. Com. I'm also giving away our listing presentation for free and a few other freebie giveaways. And if you find our podcast beneficial, you can subscribe right there from growwithers.com and we'll email you every time a new podcast releases. Uh, give a shout out to David Green on our iTunes account. Give us five stars. We're trying to get to over a thousand reviews. Give David a shout out for the time he came on and took with us. Great um, advice and new things. Every time I interview a guest, my number one thing is that we get some new content that we haven't talked about before. And we definitely took some new things from this episode, David. Thank you so much. Um, you had mentioned your mastermind. Why don't you share that link one more time for anyone wanting to get involved in your mastermind group? And then also what's the best way for someone to reach out to you directly if they have any other follow-up questions or comments? Thanks for that, Jeff. Uh, it would be www.davidgreenmastermind.com. There's an E at the end of green. People miss that all the time. So make sure you throw that E in there. The best way to get a hold of me would be if you made a profile on biggerpockets.com and sent me a message. They have like an email system that I check. The second best way would be through Instagram. If you send me a direct message, it's just very easy for those to get lost. You know, once you get to a certain point, it's hard to keep up with all the messages. So if you're lazy, send it on Instagram. If you really, really want to get a hold of me, go make a profile in bigger pockets and send me all, a message there. All those lazy agents out there. What's your uh, Instagram handle, David? Green? Thank you for that, Jeff. See, this is why you're such a good host, right? I have so much to learn from you. It is David Green 24. Again, there's an E. I'm all over social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, all of it at David Green 24. That was my number in high school. And because I'm not a high eye, I couldn't think of what my name should be. I didn't want to put like the fantastic, amazing David Green or like, you know, everybody else does. So that number at the time I had to force myself to make social media was the only thing I could identify with. And that's the lame answer of why I'm it's David Green. I following up with you, but what number, what, what position were you or what sport was that? I was so in love with basketball that I played all five positions. Like I just, I had the, I was six foot one in high school. So I was kind of like a tall point guard or a short center, but I could do all of them. I was the team captain. I loved basketball. It was my first love before I ever, ever, ever loved a woman. I loved basketball. And, uh, it was like uh, so much lessons in life. I mean, we could talk about that sometime that I, my personality was formed. Just the team concept was from, from basketball. So 
Well, this was an awesome episode. I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to visit with our audience. Hope you guys found a lot of value out of this. And we definitely look forward to having you back on sometime in the future. Thank you, Thanks, Jeff. I hope I get to interact with some of your listeners and I hope you have a great week. Hey, you too, brother. See ya. 